Heavenly Father, I pray that we would never grow weary of worshiping you. Would we never get used to how amazing your love for us is. Father, hear us from heaven as we worship you this morning. May our worship be pleasing and honoring to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor Kirk. He does it all, folks. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Well, good morning, Trinity. My name is David. I have, one of the, I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. If I am messing with my right ear, it's because I've been given a new headset mic, and we're not getting along yet. Uh, but we'll get there. We'll get there, as long as it doesn't fall off my face. Well, whether you are in person or online, let me be yet another voice to welcome you to service today. I have a metric ton to get through today, and so I am going to dive right in. Now, as we march towards Easter Sunday, we continue our march through Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. This infant church, if you remember, was being bombarded by the latest and greatest philosophy and fads of that time. These baby Christians were being told one of two things, if not both. That Jesus is not unique and or that Jesus is not enough. Jesus is just another way of many to reach the divine or Jesus' atoning work on the cross was good, but just not good enough. And so Paul writes to these believers, and the, the first thing he does in his letter is he grounds their identity, not in philosophy or in their good deeds, but in the gospel of truth, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as he does this, if you remember from last week, Paul ascends to the highest peaks of the glory of Christ, saying that Jesus is before all things, and he's greater than all things, and he holds all things together, and that it is through Jesus that we are reconciled to God, not by your work or your blood, but by the work and blood of Jesus. That through the death of Jesus, and only through the death of Jesus, we are reconciled to God. In other words, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus stands alone, and Jesus is enough. And that's like 75% of chapter 1, right? So let's pick it up. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. We're going to go through chapter 2, verse 7. But before we do that, would you join me one more time in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time you gave me this week to read your word and to let your word read me. Father, in this scripture today, Paul shares with the Colossians and your spirit shares with us seven words that should change our lives. Father, would I be true to what you've written using Paul's hand? Would you carry what I believe to be your words to your people? And would you not just fill up our mind with information, would you transform 
our hearts, transform our very nature. Father, convict and convert for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Colossians 1, 24. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Amen. Oh, we're going to have fun today. At least, at least I am. We're going to solve a riddle, we're going to solve a mystery, and we're going to geek out on some Greek. Let's go. So first, let's solve a riddle. In verse 24, we have one of the most controversial passages that Paul writes. And Paul wrote half the New Testament. It's pro- I bet it is the most controversial passage. And as I studied verse 24 and waded through the confusion, on the other side of it, I found such encouragement for all of us. Verse 24, look at it again. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What is this lack that Paul writes about? Haven't you guys been saying for weeks now that Jesus is enough? Didn't you just say that Jesus is enough? And I'll be the first to say that if Jesus isn't enough, if his sacrifice on the cross was not enough to save me from the wrath of God, then I'm doomed. So are you. So let's get to work. Let's layer in two other scripture verses here and allow scripture to explain itself. Now verse 22, a couple sentences prior, Paul reminds the Colossians that Jesus reconciled them in his body of flesh by his death. 
Jesus suffered and died on the cross for sinners. Why? We've looked at this before. Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy set before him, before Christ, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus suffered and died, and the joy in that was our salvation. So what Paul is saying here in verse 24 is that just as Jesus displayed the love of Christ and the love of the Father, Paul is displaying that love of Jesus by suffering for the Colossians. He is a physical presentation of the gospel to the Colossians, suffering for another, just like Christ did, that they may have eternal life in his name. Remember, Paul is writing this from prison. At this point, he's been beaten and stoned and whipped and shipwrecked, all for the sake of the gospel mission. And in in doing so, he is completing that gospel mission. He's filling up and completing what Jesus began on the cross. It is not that Jesus' suffering lacks anything. He is enough. It is that through laboring and suffering for the sake of the gospel, the sake of that good news that Paul and we complete Christ's suffering. And here is the divine encouragement for us all. Just as Jesus' suffering brought about our salvation, your pain also has a purpose. God never, ever lets his children suffer just to suffer. Ever. He will always use suffering to bring us closer to himself and display the love of Christ through us. There are no prayers as powerful as those of a suffering saint. Think about the times in your life when the pain and the suffering and the mourning reached its peak. You're never closer to God. And although it may not feel like it, he is never as close to you than when you suffer. And some of you are going through this stuff right now. You're grieving the loss of a parent of a family member, a friend that was like family. You're suffering in the hospital, facing affliction. You're waiting for a medical diagnosis, or you received one that was crushing. You lost your job. You're battling for a young child's cause. You're mourning the departure of someone in your care. You're battling loneliness and depression from the social isolation that continues to take its toll. But if God can work through the horrifying crucifixion to bring about the salvation of nations, he can and will work through your pain and suffering for your good and his glory. And you might be thinking, sure, but you're the preacher, man, and that's what you're supposed to say. It's great that Paul can suffer well, But I'm not Paul. It's amazing that Jesus suffered for the joy that was set before him, but I am certainly not Jesus. So what do you have for me as I sit here today in the pain, in the suffering, at the dead end, in my depression, at the hospital, in the morning, still grieving, beaten down by life? Well, I have from God's word one truth contained in seven words that changes everything. A mystery, hidden for ages and from generations, now revealed to the saints. 
Verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery hidden for ages. The mystery into which the angels longed to look. The mystery that if God told the people of old, they would not have believed the work that he was doing. The mystery that renders all of man's philosophies and all of man's efforts worthless. Christ in you. The hope of glory. These words this week changed my life. They changed my life, and I believe if we can grab a hold of them and live the truth that they declare, we will live the resurrection life Jesus intends us to live. And for the rest of our time, I want to focus on these seven words. And I'm just warning you, I'm coming in hot on this because I believe that this is a matter of life or death. Christ in you, the hope of glory. First and most importantly, Christ. How do you find joy in the suffering? Press on in mission. Strength in the battle. Comfort in grief. A way out of the dead end. Fulfillment in victory. Truth in a world of lies. Peace in a culture of bitterness. You will not find it in yoga or philosophy or mysticism or the erotic. You will not find it in your bank account or academic degrees or your career or your significant other. You will not find it at the gym or at the bottom of a bottle. Science has nothing to say about it and neither do all the motivational speakers in the world put together. Ultimate fulfillment, joy in the suffering, strength in the battle, peace and truth are all found in Jesus Christ alone. Not because he has those things but because he is those things. That we would run to him and seek him above all else as if you had a terminal disease that only one doctor in the universe had the cure for. And if you traveled days to reach that doctor's office and you got there and the receptionist says, the doctor is out for a bit, but you may speak to his assistant, no, you would say, only this doctor will suffice. I will not settle for his assistant. Well, there are plenty of books over there on the shelf to which the doctor has read. No, you would say, I do not need the knowledge that the doctor has. I need the doctor himself. Oh, well, in that case, see his medicine cabinet in the corner. You may help yourself to anything in there. No, you would say, I do not want the assistant. I do not want the books. I do not want the medicine. I must see the doctor himself. Nothing else and no one else will do. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul is amazing. This church is amazing. Christian books are amazing. Your pastors and your leaders labor for you tirelessly. But with all due respect, it is Jesus Christ that we need and we must seek. No one else will do and nothing else will do. Trying to add anything to Jesus or thinking that he is not enough, is like holding a candle next to the midday summer sun because you think it needs a little help. (laughs) Everything we want and everything we need is contained within the person and work of Jesus Christ. But it is not just Christ. It is Christ in you. In you. 
you. Not Christ in your grandparents or parents. Not Christ in your wife or husband. Not Christ in your church or your pastor or the sermons you listen to or the Bible you read or the songs you sing. It is Christ in you. You must possess Jesus Christ as your own, by grace, through faith. No one can believe in him for you. Your grandparents and your parents, they will pass away. The songs will end. I could get hit by a bus on the way out of here. But nothing and no one can take away from a person that which is within him. If the devil himself wanted to enter your spirit and take over your life, if Christ is in you, Satan would find a chain on the door with a sign saying, no vacancy. And think about this. Think about the majesty and the privilege of this truth. I don't know about you, but so often I read scripture and I say, I wish I was a better leader like Moses. Or I wish I was brave like Daniel. Or courageous like David. Or faithful like Abraham and Ruth. Or strong as Samson and Esther. Or as wise as Solomon. And yet not one of them had inside of them the riches in Christ that we possess. They saw it dimly lit by the fire of Old Testament sacrifices, but they never could and would never imagine. For first it was God in the garden, and then it was God in the Ark of the Covenant. Then he was in the temple. Then it pleased God to take on human flesh and dwell among us. But all of that pales in comparison to the astounding fact that now God does not just dwell with us, he dwells in us. And I love this. I love that Paul uses Jesus' title. Right? Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ, anointed one, the chosen king by God. It represents all that Jesus is and all that he did as the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And as prophet, when he lives within you, he will guide and direct your life, teaching you all spiritual truths and giving you all wisdom. As priest, he stands with you and in you, giving you immediate access to God. You need no one else. And as king, he demands absolute loyalty and gives you absolute peace and security for no one and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is who lives in you. No other religion or worldview or philosophy makes this claim. They all say, here's a teaching for you to learn, or a rule for you to follow, or an experience for you to have. But Christianity isn't first about thinking, or doing, or feeling. It is first a state of being where Jesus Christ himself changes who you are. And he does not do so from the outside in, but from the inside out. If you're struggling to get your arms around this, good. Welcome to the party. That's exactly why Paul calls it a mystery. This word mystery, see I told you we we're going to geek out a little bit on the Greek. This word mystery, it does not mean in the Greek what we think it means in the English. It is not something we don't know and cannot figure out. It is something that was hidden, now revealed, and the more you know it, the more it blows your mind. Christ in you. 
And what follows when you have Christ in you is every bit as staggering. The hope of glory. More Greek, because again, the English is just so diluted. If I say to you that I hope the travel restrictions lift so we can go on a family vacation, I'm referencing something in the future over which I have no certainty of. Thank you. But when the Bible speaks of hope, it does not speak of uncertainty. Because biblical hope is rooted and grounded in the unshakable promises of God. It represents the confident assurance. It represents a guarantee. And I'll do my best to begin to scratch the surface on defining glory. Biblical glory is all that God is. All his perfection. All his love. All his beauty. All his eternity. All his promises. All of his peace. So let's rewrite verse 27 as it was meant. Christ in you. The guarantee by God of all he is and all that he promises. A few years ago, I was working on a project at the house. It's like nine, it's late. It's like nine or ten at night. That's late for me, I guess. And I could not shake this pull in my spirit to call my father and ask him a question. So I give him a call. He lives, lives over in Topsfield. Now, something you need to know is that when I was one, my oldest sister, Kristen, was killed in a tragic accident horseback riding. She was nine. So I call my dad and I ask my question. This is what I led with. Dad, where are you going to go when you die? To which he replied, I think I'll be in heaven with Kristen. And I said, but how do you know And he started to answer, and I can't even remember what he was saying. I just interrupted him and said, no. The only way to know with absolute certainty is if you repent and call upon the name of Jesus Christ. That's it. And I preached to him the good news. And on the phone that night, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And two days later, I baptized him in my bathtub. And today, if I asked him that same question, his answer would be different. He would not say, I think I will be in heaven. He would say, I know I will be in heaven. What changed? Christ in him. The certainty of glory. Before that, no certainty. And I know that this culture hates exclusivity. But here comes a dose of it. No Christ in you, no hope. The best you are going to do is to spend the rest of your life trying not to die. But if Christ is in you, you have the guarantee of glory. Think about it. If Jesus paid for all of your sins on the cross once and for all, and God's Spirit raised him from the dead in victory 
and he is in you. How could God punish you for anything? Your sins, all those sins that you wish you could forget but can't, those sins of the past, the sins of the present, the sins of the future, are all forgiven in Christ who's in you. And what's more, because Jesus defeated death and lives in you, guess who has the last word? It's not the cancer. It's not the depression. It's not the suffering or the pain. It's not the loss of a loved one. It's not the loss of your company or your job or your health or your money. It's not where you grew up. It's not your broken family. It's not the sum of all of your past sins as the trial of your life ends and the gavel of judgment drops. The only closing argument will be given by the Lord Jesus Christ who, in front of God, will point to you and say, Mine! That is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'll close with this. Back in the early 1900s, a very wealthy media mogul named William Randolph Hearst wanted to add a very rare piece of artwork to his already extensive collection. And so he hired for a hefty sum two procurators and told them to flip over the earth if they had to and spare no expense in finding this piece of art. Four months later, they returned to him. Did you find it? No. Listen, I'm paying you guys a lot of money and you have all of my resources at your disposal. I want that piece of art. Do not come back until you found it. Three and a half months later, they return. You find it? Yes. Perfect. Did you buy it? No. What? Why? Because, sir, you already own it. Brothers and sisters, let us not scour the earth looking for the treasure and riches that we already own possess. May we, as Paul says, be knit together in love, rejoicing in Christ, being rooted and grounded in him, maturing in the faith, whether on the mountain or in the valley. Let all people see who it is that lives within you and works powerfully through you. Christ in you means you in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this truth is almost incomprehensible that we have the richness and fullness of your Son dwelling within us. Father, that we would grab hold of this truth and not let go for anything or anyone that this truth would permeate our minds, that it would dictate how we see this world, that it would control what we say, that Christ in us would be so real and so tangible that we long for nothing. Jesus, your word, your word has gone forth. I pray that you were proclaimed above all. Do a work in us that only you can do. In your majestic name we pray. Amen.
and I see